Welcome to the Paragold Podcast. This is Jared Pitney, and today I'm joined by my friends, Tim and Miranda Cavanis, who are the owners of Arrows Behavior Therapy and Consulting. Tim Miranda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right, so tell me the concept of, of Arrows. Like, um, when did y'all start it? Like, why did you start it, and what's it all about? Well, super long story, but I'll try to condense it down. Um I have had a passion for kids on the spectrum, the autism spectrum, for a really long time. Um, I started in this field back in 2002, straight out of high school, um, before I had kids, uh, before I was even done with my college degrees, mm. and I thought I was going into poli-sci, and here we are uh, in You thought you were going into what? Political science. Oh, yes. Okay. I started a college wow. for a political science degree in pre-law, and decided I love psychology and an autism concentration. Um, fast forward lots of years later, um, I'm a mental health therapist, and I got really sick after having uh, my son, mm. and he had a lot of medical conditions in 2010. I got sick. I wasn't able to work. Um, I broke my neck. And don't know how I broke my neck. That was in 2013. And he was three, lots of medical conditions. Really felt like he was probably on the spectrum. Didn't have a diagnosis yet. Um, And a good friend of mine said, hey, I have the perfect job for you. Come check out ABA, which is Applied Behavior Analysis. And I did that and left the mental health field Um, I was a licensed psychological examiner at the time, left the mental health field to check out ABA um, after I was so sick I couldn't work for a while. Fell in love. Like, this was my calling Hmm. in life. Um, All of those years of schooling with that autism concentration, I just didn't know what ABA was prior to that. It's been around since the 60s and 70s. And what exactly is it? Applied behavior analysis is a scientific intervention for lots of different things um but it's the most widely used treatment for kids with autism or even adults with autism there's some misconception that it's the only that you can only implement this therapy for autism spectrum disorder but there's lots of research out there um with this therapy for adults with Alzheimer's or dementia. There's a lot of research on um, drug use and addictions with ABA. It's a really interesting field. And so it's just a scientific approach to behavior change. Mm. Like, explain that to me in, like, yeah. layman's terms. It's, it's a whole lot. Okay. <laughs> Lots of data. So you take a ton of data on why people do the things they do. You want to look for all these confounding variables. So what's going on in your life? What's triggering you to behave or communicate a certain way or to have a learning challenge? Why are you not learning the information that you're being given? So there's a lot of different areas where you can use these different techniques that if I were to really break it down... You'd be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So we use a lot of visual schedules. So you might have um, picture cards for a a learner who is non-vocal. And we we say in our community, we say non-vocal instead of non-verbal 
because mm. ver nonverbal behavior is behavior, right? So if I were to sit here with my arms crossed and giving you a scowl, you mm-hmm. know what I think. Mm-hmm. You know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I'm communicating with you. Mm-hmm. So they're not nonverbal learners. They have nonverbal behavior. They're just nonvocal. They're not producing a speech sound with their mouth. So we work with, um, and that's not every person on the spectrum. There's just such a whole gambit, and I'm, I would love to tell a lot of stories throughout this about the different um, kids on the spectrum that I've worked with because there's so many different things to this. Um, so if they're not, if we have a non-vocal learner, we may be working with what's called an AAC device. So that's an assistive um, communication device and it will speech generate for them. So it might be an iPad or a different type of device where they can press a button and the, th- and the device will talk for them. So they're using their words through this device. Or we might have picture cards that they could present. If they want Cheez-Its, they hand me a picture card for Cheez-Its and I go get Cheez-Its. And so there's a very systematic scientific approach to it, but that is the general gist of this non-vocal learning. Um, And so like if a kid is on the spectrum... And it sounds like to me what little I know, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you all here because I really don't know a lot about it, and I'm guessing I'm in the majority of people who don't, um, which is crazy, by the way. You were just sharing with me a stat that one out of every 44 kids is now on the spectrum or considered on the spectrum. So, like, this impacts a lot of people. And I want to talk in just a little bit a little bit about, like, how you know if your kid's on the spectrum. But it, let's assume you have a kid on the spectrum, which you do. Like, that's what you all who you are working with they're going to be impacted by autism in in different ways. Like it's not like a, you know, one size fits all. Correct. So if they come in, like, where do you start? Okay. So I'll start with an assessment. So there's many different assessment tools that I can use. And so it kind of just depends. I, I will get a lot of background information from the parent prior to them coming in so that I can choose the right assessment. So if they're an early learner, I'm going to choose a couple of different assess- from a couple of different assessments. If they're an older kiddo, I have a gambit of assessments I can choose from. If they're non-vocal, I'm going to do a different assessment than I'm going to do if I have a child who vocally communicates. Um, so it's really going to depend on who, who I'm getting, mm-hmm. who, who I'm going to see. So lots of assessments. Then I'll take that data... And I'll analyze it and see what goals we need to work on. Mm-hmm. We In ABA, we are very concerned with what we call social validity. And if a child does not want to work on a goal or the parent thinks that it's not important, then it doesn't matter what I think is important. Mm. If it's not socially valid, we're not going to work on it. And so, you know, I mentioned my kiddo had a lot of medical issues. One of those medical issues we found out later he is diagnosed with autism, and he was not able to tie his shoes. Um, this is one of the things I talk about as social, socially valid. It was not socially valid for him to work on shoe tying. He can wear slip-on shoes. He can mm. wear Velcro shoes. Like mm. He could care less if he knew how to tie his shoes. Mm. So we couldn't get anywhere, even with all the ABA techniques, because it didn't matter to him. Mm. It started mattering to him when he went to theater and needed to be able to tie his tap shoes in front of all of his friends that were older and could tie their shoes. Now I have a socially valid goal and he can work on that 
and maybe meet fidelity. So, how many kids, or what do you, do you call them? Clients, patients. What are they? Learners. Oh, learners. Okay. Mm-hmm. How many learners do you currently have? Statewide, we are serving about 125 learners. 125. Mm-hmm. And then, based off of kind of where they are, you said like kind of the, kind of the the top of therapy. It's all driven by the same kind of data but it's going to be tailor-fitted based off of where they are, correct? It's very much an individualized learning plan. And are you seeing success? Yes, lots of success. Um, there are a lot of different agencies that people could go to, and if we didn't see success, they would go to those other places. Mm-hmm. So we do have a wait list, um, so that speaks for itself. Um, but I also have parents telling me, that we were their last resort. They've tried everything else, and they couldn't figure out what else to do. Um, I've had parents cry because their child was able to go on a field trip for the first time, and they've oh, not wow. ever been able to do that before. Um, these goals that we work on are, like I said, are socially valid. Like we want kids to be able to expand the foods that they eat. Um, you know. We haven't really talked about all the symptoms yet, but sensory issues are a big thing for a lot of our kids on the spectrum. So that a lot of time will limit the types of foods that we will eat. And so parents just want us to be able to eat more than McDonald's chicken nuggets because Mm -hmm. we can't afford to go to McDonald's every single day and only buy McDonald's chicken nuggets. Mm. Um, And so we do a ton of different learning and trainings as um, staff so that we can bring the best uh, interventions to our kids. And one of those has been um, Dr. Greg Hanley has a feeding protocol, and we're seeing a lot of success with that as well. Um, Kids are expanding foods way beyond 10 foods. Um, We see kids being able to sit in a group environment for the first time and learn academics mm-hmm. that they've not been able to sit in that environment. Um, we were just talking about one of the schools that we have a contract with. Um, it was actually our first school contract we got back in 2018. And it was the first kid we brought on when we started Arrows. And um, he was in a self-contained classroom, which means he never leaves this classroom. He's in there with one teacher and a few kids all day long. Um teacher was phenomenal at understanding the different IEPs and implementing what was needed for each individual learner, but um, didn't have a lot of autism background. And this kiddo was a kindergartner and having a hard time adjusting to being in this self-contained room Mm. um, with no toys. I mean, that's not what bedrooms usually go to to try to get a little bit of academic help. And then you go back to your regular kindergarten classroom and go to centers and play and socialize. And mm-hmm. he was the only kindergarten in this room and he didn't have access to these things. So we kind of had to create a new environment for him and help this teacher learn um, some of the things that she needed to implement so that he could best succeed. Mm. Um, he was able to make tons of progress. The next year he didn't even need full-time aid and then now he's now he doesn't have a full-time aide at all. We were able to phase out of that school within a year, and we went back to that school just last week, and I peeked in on him, and he was sitting in the floor 
um, with all his other peers who were sitting in the floor on the carpet in a gen ed room, reading along with the teacher in his book, and just amazing. And he couldn't even sit at the table for five minutes and do an activity with his teacher when he was in kindergarten. He's in third, third grade now. So, yeah, I mean, just amazing progress for this kiddo. And so we're just super excited when we see progress like that. Sometimes it's not that quick. Um, so, again, it's a huge spectrum. And so the progress is still a spectrum. So That's yeah. incredible. And I guess I want to get back to you. This is about the, the sensory issues is what are some of the other, <clears throat> excuse me, symptoms? Um, so what are some things that we can see, some marks of possibly like, hey, that my kid might be on the spectrum? What are you seeing at an early age? Okay, so autism is going to affect kids in a few different ways. And again, it's a spectrum, so it's it's going to be different for every kid. Um, we have a saying in our field, once you've met one kid with autism, you've met only one kid with autism. Mm. And so you're going to see some communication barriers. You're going to see some social communication barriers. And then you could also have some adaptive behavior issues. So all of your symptoms are going to fall in one of those three categories. Those are the um, categories that doctors are going to use to create this diagnosis. Um and so if you have a sensory difficulty, it's going to fall in that adaptive behavior um, category usually or maybe the communication category. So sensory processing disorder in and of itself can be completely different and something separate from autism. Or it can be comorbid with autism, which means that it can co-occur. Um, what we have to do is help kids learn how to manage some of their self-stimulation or some of their sensory issues. Um, I mean, I'll be real honest. I have some of my own personal sensory issues, and these mm. headphones don't feel great on mm. my ears. Um, you can pull them off at any point. So it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Thank you. And and that's what we would do in ABA is we would teach kids to communicate those needs with us, and then we would accommodate and change their environment so that they mm. – um, so that they understand, mm. you know, how to communicate what their needs are. Um, and then we must be flexible mm -hmm. and understand what their needs are. I have a kiddo that has a real hard time going to the grocery store with the mama. Mm. So mom tries to go to the grocery store before she picks him up from mm. therapy. Mm. Makes sense to me. We we're mm. accommodating this kiddo. He's still super young. We're going to work on that flexibility because he needs to be able to go to the grocery store at some point. Yeah. But he's still super young. We're going to work on that flexibility later. So how later. do you decide when it's time to begin to introduce them to some of these things like the grocery store? Kind of back to that socially valid. Like what's the most needed thing right now? Let's work on that. Okay. And we're going to take things in small chunks and work up. That's good. So what can we work on? Can he go to maybe Dollar General instead of Walmart? Can he go to maybe the little corner grocery store instead of Dollar General even? So, you Getting know. little wins, building yes. the momentum. Always yeah. little wins. Always positive reinforcement. Figure out what we can positively reinforce with and move forward from there. So. What, yeah. what would you say um, to a parent who possibly has a kid on the spectrum uh they're not really sure where they are at this point um any encouragement to them 
So an autism diagnosis is not an end all be all. Like, mm. don't be upset about that. Some of my kids on the spec, all of my kids on the spectrum are just amazing kids. And mm. I've met so many amazing adults on the spectrum. Like we would never want to change a kid's personality or who they are or like I, my own child, I tell him he's quirky all the time <laughs> and he's got a, I mean, he owns it and he's got a poster in his room that says weird is a side effect of awesome. <laughs> and he owns it and I love it. And he's quirky and he's weird and he's just his own kid. Mm. Like, it's amazing. So teaching our kiddos to be who they are, mm. but also be able to navigate society is our biggest goal. So we don't want to change their quirkiness. You know, if you have a kiddo who hand flaps, that's not hurting anybody. So what does it matter? Mm -hmm. If that becomes socially valid to your child and they want to learn ways to control that in society, then there are things to do, but we're not going to suppress some of our self-stimulatory behavior just because it makes people uncomfortable. Mm. Those people have to learn to not be uncomfortable. Yeah. So, so would that be part of your message to those who maybe don't have a kid on the spectrum, but is like, yeah, like, like, is that the encouragement to maybe some of us? Yes, a hundred percent. We have to learn to be okay with those who are made react to things differently. We all stem. I don't know people. I mean, there are people who click their ink pens. There's people who chew their bubble gum. There's people who pace. I tap my foot when I'm sitting still. I mean, there are a lot of different self-stimulatory behavior, and that's how everybody deals with self-regulation. Some of our kids on the spectrum regulate in a big um, outward manner. Mm -hmm. Um and so we can help learners um, learn how to do those things in a more socially appropriate manner if they want to. Um, and so there's nothing wrong with those things. And then I would say also to parents who are um, a bit concerned, there are lots of resources out there. Uh, just all you have to do is do a quick Facebook search and autism mamas are going to get in there and tell mm. you what you need to know. We special needs mamas stick together. And even at Arrows, part of our uh, mission is to be a resource for families. So mm -hmm. even if we don't provide ABA for your family or, um, or ABA is not right for your family or that's not what you're looking for, you're just looking for resources in general, um, that's always been a big mission of mine. Um, you know, when I talked about starting this field in 2002, I was a case manager and that was my job was finding resources for families. And mm. so I've kind of carried that along and, um, I always want to be somebody that you can reach out to and that would have a resource for you. So I'd say get connected with parent, other parents mm. on the spectrum, um, learn what physicians in the area are autism savvy and know what's going on with that. Um, because you will get it. I've seen parents get a diagnosis and then not be told anything. Oh, wow. Like, where do I go from here? Well, now you got an autism diagnosis. Good luck. Yeah, good luck. You know, and yeah. so there's nothing. Doctors don't always give you <clears throat> those resources that you need, and you have to reach out to that special needs community. Um, I would say get into some therapies, regardless if it's ABA, OTPT speech, like you need still a therapeutic um, community around you. Mm -hmm. Or there's a couple of different uh, services. Um, 
in the mental health world that understands autism as well. So, you know, we have a whole list of resources that you could potentially reach out to. Um, Along those same lines, I would be careful Googling those resources Um, because there's a whole host. Yeah. And there's a whole host out there of misinformation. You know, I talked a little bit earlier about ABA being around since the sixties and seventies. There's a old school ABA and there's today's ABA. Mm. So it's just like any other field. Um, There's been a lot of growth and research and understanding. And um, I talked a little bit about Greg Hanley earlier. He has um, some protocols in place that are trauma-informed ABA, mm. and it's what we're calling today's ABA. Trauma-informed. Trauma-informed. So it just means that we're going to approach a learner from a place of compassion and an understanding of assumed trauma. Regardless if there's ever been trauma huh. or not, we're going to assume there has been at some point Because think about if you've not been able to communicate your wants and needs, even if you're a vocal learner and you can't communicate accurately what you need, there's some trauma related to that. For sure. So how does the trauma change the therapy? And so what changes is in the past, there might have been a lot of compliance-based therapy, like sit in this chair, Uh, do this, don't get up till it's done, hand over hand, here, let me help you. And a lot of hand over hand type of therapy. Whereas now this is the top that we offer today, today's ABA. If we're following Greg Hanley's protocols and um, several of our clinicians are um, certi- at least level one certified um, in this therapy, then we are coming, we are approaching a learner at a place of compassion first. How can I help you? Mm. What's wrong? Let's reinforce your behavior first so that we don't get any escalation. Um, do we need to take a walk and then we'll come back and look at this again? Is there something else we can do Sounds now? Like you're being much more patient, much mm-hmm. softer. Yes. A lot more patience, a lot more. Um, what am I not understanding? Help me to understand yeah, you. Curious. Yeah. So, um, that's huge. Yeah. So, and I feel like that's where we make the greatest gains. Um, there are a lot of, teenagers in this state who have been denied access to our to not just our services but just ABA in general because um, Medicaid just started paying for ABA in 2019 so we have an abundance of over 10 year olds who have never had access to um, services and we're seeing a lot more aggressive behavior because we've not ever been able to communicate our wants and needs. Mm. And when we approach from a place of compassion, especially for those kiddos, behavior drastically goes down quickly, like negative behavior drastically goes down quickly. Mm. And then we can start developing rapport. And once we start developing rapport, then we can develop some skills-based interventions. So basically my job is to teach you the skills you need to be able to get your wants and needs met. And then above that, be able to get your feelings heard and listened to and accepted. You know, math is hard. I get it. Uh, Yeah. You know, (laughs) it's been hard for me. It's, it seems like there's a, um, uh, a, a growing awareness uh, around just the the power of empathy 
and curiosity and a lot of different spectrums of mm-hmm. just society. And so it's interesting to me to hear how that's being incorporated even in the work that you're doing. And it just seems like there's, I, I, I'm interested in that just because I think everybody has experienced trauma. Everybody has experienced trauma, whether it's big T trauma or little T trauma. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just, we're not very kind with ourselves and we're not very kind with others. We're not very patient with ourselves, not very patient with others. And it's like some of the stuff you're doing, it's like, whether you have autism or not, it's like, that's probably helpful to remember mm-hmm. when we're just dealing with humans in yeah. general. Do we know where autism comes from? What causes it? There's no known causes. There's a lot of speculation and um, a lot of different things out there. There's some genetic research that shows that there might be a genetic connection, but that's not always the case either. Um, It's such, such, such a wide, wide spectrum. Um, If I can take my BCBA hat off, because this is not Mm -hmm. part of being a BCBA, this is part of a mama Mm -hmm. with autism. I think um, for my own child food and nutrition, um, and supplements and things Mm -hmm. in our, um, in our environment have been a huge impact for him. Um, and again, uh, well, I had to make changes to make some positive impact. Um, again, this is just from my mama heart because I want to be very clear. This is not me talking as a BCBA. This is just my own personal child. Um, because this is not sound science. Sure, exactly. And so I just want to be clear on that. But um, for my own personal child, we can't have any red dye at all. Completely changes his moods. Um, We really try to stay away from all artificial dyes um, because it impacts him in a very significant way. And he even now that he's 13 and um, more communicative, he can say, I don't like the way that makes me feel. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel weird. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, he can vocalize that. Soy impacts him to some degree, and he can vocalize that as well. Um, he's said before on diet, it makes his brain feel scrambled. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to be very careful of what he eats. Um, and again, with him all of his medical conditions in the very beginning, he couldn't chew well. And so it created some really poor eating habits. And also um, our kids on the spectrum, for whatever reason, tend to navigate towards crunchy brown foods. And we know those things tend to be carbs. And so we're not getting a well-balanced diet. We don't know why that is. I haven't come across any research out there of exactly why. Um, I'm just thinking my youngest son, Moses, is probably on the spectrum now. (laughs) That's like all he wants to eat. Well, I will also caution you to, um, because I've been a licensed psychological examiner, the DSM is where all of our um, diagnostic criteria comes from in in this world. And um, we can all put ourselves in that and we can all give ourselves a diagnosis. So I was tapping my foot while I got my car. Exactly. So we just have to be really careful not to be like, Oh, I heard all this and now I've got to go out. That's not necessarily the case. Right. Like, so are these things impacting your daily life? Are they, you know, overwhelmingly an issue? You know, we may or may not all in my own heart be on the spectrum somewhere. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's a spectrum. Mm -hmm. So, you know, don't don't rush out and be like, oh, no, she said all these things. You know, it, you can put yourself in some kind of diagnostic category at any given moment. So I think it's fair to say that we're all quirky. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. People are weird. Does it impact your daily <laughs> life? I yeah, mean, that's, to be that's a good. 
That's a good distinguishing factor. Right. Yeah. Right. So you said basically, you know, don't start trying to self-diagnose yourself or maybe even your kid. So what do you do? Like, does arrows help diagnose kids? Do we go see a specialist? What's a good step there? Okay. So arrows is the step after diagnosis. Um, you are going to want to see a specialist or your pediatrician can give the diagnosis. Um, there's actually a three-pronged diagnosis, and Dennis Developmental is the only one that I know of that gives all three prongs, but they're a long wait to get into. So I try to tell people, if you go ahead and get on that wait list, but then also look for these other areas as well. So you've, you need a physician's diagnosis. So your pediatrician may be willing to do that. There are a few pediatricians around here that I know of for sure that will do that. They need to do um, an autism screener, do some background information. If they'll give a diagnosis, that's awesome. And then there are several speech therapists in the area that can do autism screeners, do a diagnostic evaluation, and give a diagnosis. And then... Um, it would also be really good to look for a psychologist. You need a PhD-level psychologist who can do that autism screener and give a diagnosis. And all three of those um, specialists would be on the diagnostic team at La Bonner or Dennis Developmental. Um, but again, that's a long wait list. It's also a yeah. long wait list to get into um, psychologists in the area. And so last year, Medicaid actually decreased our three-prong diagnosis to a two-prong. So now we need at least two forms of diagnosis to be able to um, serve a kiddo um, in the state. And so once you have that diagnosis, then you would seek out Arrows or another company like that that would offer these ABA services. Yeah. Yeah. What's a good age for that? I mean, does it depend on your kid? So it does depend on your kiddo, um, but I always recommend early, early intervention. And that's something that we've been helping um, physicians learn, too. Uh, you have several um, specialists or physicians that, especially if you have a, a – we have low-level needs kiddos, and we have high-level needs kiddos. So if you have lots of behavior, negative behaviors, um, really poor communication, I mean, just lots of symptoms that we're looking at, those are going to be our higher-level needs, lots of support this kiddo needs. Um, and if you have a kiddo struggling in just one area or the other, those are going to be your lower-level needs kiddos. Um, a lot of times physicians will say, well, let's just wait and see. But the longer we wait and see, the more time we have behavior to develop. And unfortunately, we have to have that diagnosis to be able to access um, funders to be able to provide these therapies. And I hate that. I wish we could just provide just provide treatment for the symptoms mm -hmm. and then move forward without the, without the diagnosis. But that's just the way that it's set up. And so if we can get that diagnosis early on, I mean, I'm talking under five. A lot of times we can get some really good intervention going, get some, especially if there's communication barriers, get some communication going um, using an AAC device if necessary um, versus those kiddos who, well, let's just wait and see. And we're chugging along. Okay, okay, okay. Well, now we're 10, 12, and I can't communicate anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, now behavior becomes very aggressive, and it's very dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so we do try to get 
get that early intervention in as quickly as possible. Mm. I'm curious, um, you know, you've talked about, at least for you, Miranda, you've had this passion um, to work with kids on the spectrum even before you had a child uh, who was on the spectrum. The work you are doing, I know you don't do it for the money. Uh, I know it's hard work. It's it's not always uh, glamorous work. Like, what is the why, not the compelling why for, for you two that keep you getting out of bed and continuing to do what you do? Well, just the work in general is just amazing to watch these kiddos thrive. And when you see their little eyes light up that they've learned a new skill or that they can actually communicate their wants and needs without um, aggressive behavior. Um, I have a kiddo right now who um, came to us with very aggressive behavior and now he's walking all over the property and just having a great time. Mm. Um, He had been um, isolated uh, by himself completely in school just because – School didn't know how to handle such aggressive behavior. And because of the way that we're set up, we're able to have a lot more flexibility. And so when we can create solutions like that for parents and kids um, and see them learn and thrive, it's just, it's so amazing and so rewarding. And then, um, you know, the, and we can literally do that anywhere. There are amazing companies all over this state that do the same thing. Um, but we created Arrows in 2018, um, well, solely because God told me I had to. <laughs> and so um, there was really nothing in this area at that time um, that would allow for kids over or over eight, it was really over eight at that time, to have access to services. Mm. And there's a lot now, and that's awesome. I love that there's so many more resources now. But um, Arrows is based off of Psalms 127, and um, I really feel like it's a mission field for us that um, we exist to pour into our employees just as much as we exist to be here for our kiddos. And so we've um, been able to develop family um, out of this, and um, we have a weekly Bible study for people that want to attend. And so I've literally had moms tell me that um, they feel like they have a community now that they might not have Mm. been able to access before. Mm. Um. And so, and we're able to do that because we are so widespread that we can keep those relationships separated and keep, you know, so that we're not providing a dual relationship for someone that we're providing services to. There's so many different outlets that they can um, gain access to relationships. That's excellent. Well, there's, you know, so much more I know inside of you that we could talk about and we'll have to have y'all back on to do that. But I'd love to enter into some rapid fire questions, which we ask all of our guests when they come on. And so we'll start with you, Tim, uh, since you, uh, Miranda hasn't had a chance to take a break yet. We'll ask you a question, then we'll go to you, Miranda. And then uh, let me grab my questions. Here we are. And then we'll start with you, Miranda, the second one, and then go to you, Tim. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right. So here we go. Tim, what is either the last movie or show that you watched or a last book that you read? I'm currently watching The Last of Us. The what? 
The Last of Us on yeah. HBO. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Based off a yeah. video game. Yeah. Uh, post-apocalyptic. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Currently watching it. Very cool. What about you, Miranda? Let's see. What did I watch last night? I don't know. I'm not a TV <laughs> watcher. Um, Are you a reader? I am a reader. I'm reading Get Out of Your Head. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Um, start with you this time, Miranda. What is your favorite band? Oh, Fleetwood Mac. I didn't know that. Yeah. What about you, Tim? Uh, there's so many. Um, I'm gonna it's got to be an 80s band, right? Yeah. I'm going to have to go with Consistent. Mm-hmm, so sure. From the 80s until okay. you know, now. Still going. So, Def Leppard. Def Leppard. Yeah. Excellent. Great bands. Uh, what I legit is, thought that you were... You're going with a band called Consistent, and I was like, "Never <laughs> heard of them. Never heard of them. Probably one out there somewhere." <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Tim, what is uh, your favorite meal? Favorite meal. You guys are big food people. Like y'all used to used to be your jam, right? Yeah, that's our jam. Um, anything that's non-dairy. <laughs> <laughs> anything non-dairy. Come on, man. Um, There's got to be a favorite, like last meal. Uh, steak some. Steak and potatoes. Yeah, yeah, right on, man. Excellent. What would you say, Miranda? Seafood. Very good. My wife and I just uh, went to Texas Roadhouse. Yeah, that runs the Texas yeah. Roadhouse. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't Friday night, first time I've been there, <laughs> and uh, it was packed. But I had the steak, and she had the seafood. Yeah. Well, there we go. Surf and turf. <laughs> you guys are surf and turf people. That's, That's it. Right. Yeah, yeah. All right. What is on your nightstand right now, Tim? Uh, iPhone charger and a book that I have not started reading. <laughs> Excellent. I got about four on mine. Name, what was it? Something to do with? It's a leadership book. Yeah, you a leadership up. book. Yeah, as long as you just let it sit there, man, <laughs> like eventually it's going like, to yeah. get in you. It's osmosis, right? Exactly right. It's osmosis. <laughs> what would you say, Miranda? Um, I have the Get Out of Your, Your Head book is on my nightstand, a lamp, and a box of Kleenexes. Excellent. Uh, Miranda, give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Ooh, playing outside with my kids. Mm. Especially in this weather. Yes, this weather is amazing, and I'm feeling some kind of rejuvenation today. We've been no outside doubt. all day at the school. It's the vitamin so it's been, D. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Excellent. What about for you, Tim? Ordinary moment that brings you great joy. Uh, just walking in and having my four-year-old run up to me and Excited to see Daddy. Mm. I've got a 13 year old. He doesn't respond way anymore. <laughs> but when you get a teenager, it makes you more thankful for those. Oh, hey, Dad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tim. Uh, we'll start with you on this one. Last question: What is one thing that you're deeply grateful for right now? My family. Good, Randa. Yeah, my community. Just everybody. I mean, everybody's my family. We know that. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So the just more my. The merrier. Yeah. So just my community that we've had some reconnection lately, and it's been really, really, really good. Awesome. Yep. Well, thank you guys so much for making the space to be here. I know y'all have a uh, cram pack schedule, but always good to be able to spend time with you. And so, hope we get to sit down and connect again soon. Sounds good. Thanks Absolutely. for having us. Yes. All right, that was Tim and Miranda Cavanis. That's a fantastic episode. Yeah, I learned really a lot good. about autism, especially for me right now. Really good to hear from. Like we said, a little bit. We have a son who needs to be tested mm-hmm. um, to see if he might be on the spectrum there, which is a little scary. But yeah. at the same time, like she said, um, 
you know, it's not an end all be all kind of thing. Like it's not the end of your life if your kid is diagnosed. Yes. Like when I told you, when I told you that my son was even possible needing to be tested, it was like, well, if you told me that before I had a kid, I'd be terrified. But he's been my son for three years, so he's still Graham. Nothing has changed. He's mm. Graham. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it would be encouraging to me. Um, to be someone who maybe like you has a child who could possibly be in the spectrum or is in the spectrum to listen to that because I think for me the big takeaway was like man you can still uh, thrive mm-hmm. you know no matter what the diagnosis is so Tim Miranda thanks so much for coming on and to those who are listening uh, thank you for tuning in every single week if you've not done so please check us out on our different social media platforms we're on Instagram uh, we are also on Facebook uh, you can just go on there, type in Paragold Podcast, find us that. We have a website, paragoldpodcast.com. Um, and if you've not done this, please uh, go to Apple and uh, just right there in iTunes, you can uh, give us a five-star rating on the Paragold Podcast. And that just helps people to find us more quickly and learn about the incredible people who are living right here in our city. So as always, thanks for listening. Until next time.